0: You're listening to Murder Not Murdering with Aaron
1: and Autumn, a true
0: crime podcast about murder and murdering, but we
1: are not murderers. Everybody, welcome back to murder, not murdering with me, Autumn, <laughs>
0: and me, Erin. <Aaron. laughs>
1: I'm wow. so awkward when you make me bring it in. Just a disclaimer, well, but
0: yeah. I mean, you're, you're welcome.
1: I just feel that I struggle.
0: <laughs> uh, I just wanted to mention. Wine and Crime time of last week. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you guys! Even editing, I was like, oh no! <laughs>
1: it was cute. It was. Yeah. We got a lot of DMs from people enjoying your wine and crime.
0: Well, listen, I'm just drinking water right now, so <laughs> that's what that's what you're getting this time.
1: Dang it! Yeah. I mean, maybe once a month we'll have a wine and crime with Aaron.
0: Sure. Uh, so, listen. I'm back on my old tricks. I'm just gonna warn you ahead of time. There will be a disclaimer. I am back up to my old dismemberment game. O M G. Old timey, old timey dismemberment crimey.
1: I'm shook.
0: Yeah. But not at all. (laughs) Actually, the reason why this one's so uh, cool is there's like it uses some like early groundbreaking forensic techniques. So that's why I picked it.
1: I love stuff like that.
0: It is. uh, It's a tough one to get through. So just FYI, there'll be a lot of parts. Cannot wait. Mm -hmm, Well, why don't we jump right in, Autumn? Uh, I believe you go first this time. I do, I do.
1: And this story is really sad.
0: What? A ha- not a happy murder?
1: No, it's not. But it's it's even more sad to me just because of the circumstances. And you'll hear, it's just, it's really sad. It like tugged at my heartstrings.
0: Oh boy. Okay. Thanks for bringing us up.
1: You're so welcome. (laughs) That's what I'm here for. Mm -hmm. Don't worry. We'll get some great dismemberment content
0: coming up shortly. (laughs) It's not happy dismemberment content, but it is a really interesting one. So stay tuned. I didn't say happy. All right, go on. (laughs) Okay.
1: So this one is the murder of Hannah Harris. On Thursday, July 4th, 2013, 21-year-old Hannah Harris left her home on the Northern Cheyenne Reservation in Lame Deer, Montana, to watch fireworks with some friends. She was last seen drinking with friends at a bar just outside the reservation, but never returned home. I just have to say, she's not underage. so. I'm not back to my child crimes.
0: Wow. Thank you, Autumn. You're very
1: welcome. She's 21. She's an adult. Okay. Hannah, a member of the Northern Cheyenne tribe of Montana was a single mother to a 10 month old son who she named Jeremiah. Hannah and her older sister Rose were raised by her mother, Melinda Limberhand on the Northern Cheyenne reservation. The entire Harris family lived on the same road on the reservation, named after them, Harris Lane, which I thought was so cute. Can you imagine living on a street with all of your family?
0: Uh, Good Lord.
1: I know. I mean, that was actually a really loaded question (laughs) because, I mean, everybody wants a little privacy from I would say, I think
0: everybody wants a little bit of privacy.
1: (laughs) Yes, but it would, I mean,
0: I mean, it would be really nice. It would be nice. It would be convenient and all of that, but yes, that's a lot.
1: It was cute. I I mean, I thought it was cute, but yeah, Yeah. now saying it out loud. I'm like, yeah, maybe not. (laughs) The family was extremely close, especially Hannah and Melinda. Hannah was described by her family as a good girl who was always looking to meet new people and make someone laugh at any opportunity that she had. The most common description given of her was loving and a good mother to her son. Having made no contact the night before and failing to return the next morning, Hannah's sister Rose had her wedding reception on July 5th and Hannah had been so excited about it. Hannah failing to show up at the reception was a red flag for her family and they knew something was very wrong. Mm. Cause I mean, you're going to want to be there for your sister.
0: Yeah, of course.
1: So it's definitely a red flag that, I mean, her sister at first thought that she had just been partying too hard the night before, Yeah, but when she didn't show up at all to her reception, it was, it was not like her sister. Yeah. Rose ended the reception early so that she could help search for her missing little sister. They went driving around looking for her, but no one had seen her since the night before. They were driving near the muddy Creek area when they found Hannah's car abandoned. The car had two flat tires. Her sister said she immediately started to worry that her sister was in the trunk of the car. I can't even, like, imagine even having that thought. No. Rose opened the trunk, but there was nothing in there. Now the entire community is worried about Hannah and where she could be. Concerned she could be in serious trouble. The tribal community springs into action, searching for the young mother, holding out hope that she would be found alive. One of the searchers happens upon a piece of caution tape draped on a fence. The tape had last been seen on Hannah. She had fashioned it into a makeshift sash the night of the 4th and had been seen wearing it by several friends and family while out on the dance floor that night. The chance that the tape had belonged to anyone but Hannah was slim to none. They focused their search in the area that they found the sash in, questioned people in that area and searching cars and trailers, talking to the community members and still holding out hope that they would locate Hannah safely. The reservation is federal land. So the FBI was called in to help with the search. There are a lot of discrepancies between the family of Hannah and the FBI. The family feels that they didn't really do much in the search for Hannah, which is sadly the case for the majority of indigenous men and women.
0: I was going to say, yeah, a lot of, and and especially um, a lot of these missing person cases as well. Mm -hmm. You just don't get, they also don't get anything in the media Exactly. Or any of that
1: exactly there's not enough focus on indigenous men and women in general agreed there are some claims that it had to do with them being short-staffed because of the holiday but the family feels otherwise on July 8th 2013 four days after Hannah was last seen her badly decomposed body Was found near the rodeo grounds on the Northern Cheyenne reservation, which literally my heart sank, like my heart just Mm -hmm. absolutely sank.
0: Yeah.
1: She was found face down with her arms stretched out with her pants down and her shirt and bra pulled up. Mm. I Um, don't like that. mm -mm. Unfortunately, her remains were in such poor condition that they have never been able to determine the official cause of death.
0: Oh my God.
1: It was a search party of the tribal community that found Hannah's remains and not the authorities.
0: Mm -hmm. Not surprised.
1: Right. Her family has mentioned that a lot as well. I bet. This is now a homicide investigation and no longer a missing person. Suspicion fell on the father of her child, a man from a neighboring tribe named Skye. They had broken up because the relationship was very abusive, and she had moved back in with her mother. The BIA, which stands for Bureau of Indian Affairs, questioned him, but it turns out that he had a solid alibi. Mm. He was out of state in South Dakota at the time of the murder.
0: Okay.
1: Tensions are still high between him and Hannah's family, where her mother obtained temporary physical guardianship over Jeremiah and was concerned that he would try and take the baby from her. Which I can only imagine would add to the stress she is already feeling over the murder of her daughter,
0: of course,
1: and being the background of the relationship being abusive. I can only imagine what kind of anxiety her mom was feeling to keep her Grandson well, they safe.
0: Just thought he was a murder suspect.
1: A hundred percent. So at yeah. least, at least the grandma had the baby, and the baby yeah. was safe. Hannah had last been seen at a local bar just outside the reservation. The reservation itself is actually a dry reservation, so to be able to drink at a bar, they did have to go just outside the reservation. Okay. So the authorities pay the bar a visit and ask if they have any video surveillance footage from the night Hannah went missing. And guess what? They did. Wow. I know. Hannah could be seen in the bar talking to a man and a woman, who she is seen leaving with. Where did they go? And what did they do after they left the bar? The detectives need to know. But first, They need to find out the identity of the man and the woman the man is identified as garrett wada and the woman is his common law wife eugenia roland detectives question garrett and eugenia who goes by gina about the night hannah went missing gina told detectives that the night in question Hannah had given Garrett and her a ride back to their trailer park on Muddy Cluster Road, but that they were not the only ones in the car with Hannah. Gina described, and this is where it gets kind of weird. Gina described a smelly man with a fedora who was quite large as also being smelly, in the car.
0: A smelly man?
1: Yes, she smelly was man. very adamant that he was smelly and he had a fedora on. All right. I know. And that the last time she saw Hannah was after she dropped them off in the trailer park. And then she got into a vehicle with the unknown smelly fedora man. (laughs) As you can imagine, detectives think this sounds bizarre. Yeah. And also like a scene out of a movie (laughs) when she described Hannah dropping them off. And then Gina said she watched the taillights leave the trailer park with the smelly man fedora guy and Hannah driving off into the sunset. (laughs) Like, okay. Very, very weird. (laughs) Very weird. The FBI started gathering surveillance videos from the neighboring businesses to see if they maybe caught an image of Hannah, Garrett, Gina, and the mystery fedora man. It was a long shot, but it ended up paying off. Oh, the footage recovered off of the Cheyenne Depot, which is also a gas station surveillance cameras showed Hannah around 1.30 AM pulling up to the pump and getting out of the car with Gina and going inside and buying a few items, they get back in the car and drive off. There is no sign of the smelly fedora man. In the footage from the gas station.
0: No, that sounds made up to me. I know, right? Like they had to come up with more descriptive words to just like just, get away with it. I don't know. It's really I know weird.
1: it's so weird, and she mentions it numerous times that he was smelly, it and didn't have a name, and that he yeah. was wearing a fedora. I'm, I'm a fedora, like yeah. I did, what a random piece of.
0: To me, it feels like that's made up, but go on. Yes,
1: right. And and authorities are on the same page as us about that. (laughs) Authorities now believe that Garrett and Gina made up the man in the fedora. Okay. Evidence starts piling up against the common law couple, such as Hannah's car was found with Jeremiah's car seat in the back, making it unlikely that two big men were in the back of the car that night. Yeah as they had
0: originally told authorities
1: yeah. because there's no way that Garrett and this no. smelly fedora guy are going to fit back there with a car seat. No way. A relative of Gina's had let Gina and Garrett borrow her vehicle on July 5th for a few hours. And upon returning the vehicle, it had a very strong, disturbing odor. The car was searched and evidence of Hannah's DNA was found. They're theorizing that they had borrowed the car to dispose of the body. Yeah. However, this did not prove that Garrett and Gina had murdered Hannah.
0: It just proved that Hannah was in the car, Mm -hmm.
1: which sparked an outcry from the community who believed that authorities were sitting on the arrest. Okay. Months pass and the community and Hannah's family is becoming increasingly vocal holding marches where they demanded justice for Hannah and called for the arrest of Garrett and Gina. Yeah. Like, yeah. Huge marches, the community, the tribal community, everyone's coming together saying that the authorities are just not doing their job.
0: Mm -hmm. And probably they're not getting a lot of press on it. Mm -hmm.
1: That's exactly right. Feeling the pressure Garrett and Gina traveled to Wyoming to avoid suspicion because, you know, skipping town makes you less suspicious. Totally. <laughs> I don't, I don't think you had anything to do with it now that you left to a different state.
0: Yeah. Fleeing <laughs> does not. It always says innocence to me.
1: <laughs> yes, me too. I'm glad we're on the same page. However, Gina could not keep Hannah's murder to herself and police received a call from a former sister-in-law that told authorities that Gina had gotten drunk at a bar and confided in her that they had killed Hannah Harris.
0: Yeah. That's such a Gina move too. Right. Like <laughs>
1: Gina can't hold her liquor. <laughs> she had told her that she had passed out from drinking on the fourth and was woken by Garrett having sex with Hannah, who was screaming oh. for help. Oh, no, I hate that. Me too. She said she had tried to help Hannah, but became upset and she hit her instead.
0: What the fuck? Which makes
1: no sense. It's like a no. switch flipped and all of a sudden you're pissed. You went no. to help her and then Absolutely you're mad. It
0: doesn't no, make I don't sense. believe that.
1: No. More disturbingly, she told her that her and Garrett had beat Hannah to death wrapped her in a bed sheet and dragged her body outside. The next morning is when the cover-up began with them borrowing the relative's car and disposing of her body on the rodeo grounds.
0: Yeah, and then they staged
1: the scene. In March of 2014, Garrett Wada and Eugenia Rowland were arrested for the murder of Hannah Harris. Good. Finally. Garrett was charged with sexually assaulting Hannah and in exchange for his testimony, the murder charges were dropped. What? Mm -hmm. And he was sentenced to only 10 years for being an accomplice to murder and a rapist.
0: Jesus fucking Christ. 10 years. No, that's not enough, but
1: Mm -mm. not even close. No. When Hannah's family read the victim impact speech at his sentencing, he could be seen shaking his head and refusing to acknowledge that his actions caused her family grief.
0: Are you? I'm swearing a lot, but are you fucking kidding me? No, like
1: piece of shit.
0: Garbage. Actual garbage. I know.
1: Especially heartbreaking to them was the part he played in the search for her remains beside her family and friends. Knowing that she was dead.
0: That just makes me so angry.
1: It makes me furious. He's out there pretending to search for her and along with her family.
0: Like heartbreaking.
1: Come on.
0: All right. What happened to Gina?
1: So Eugenia Rowland was sentenced to 22 years in prison for the murder of Hannah. She attempted to deliver a public apology to the family of Hannah Harris but they refused to hear it walking out of the courtroom before she began to speak.
0: Nothing wrong with that.
1: No, I am in absolute solidarity with them.
0: A little
1: fact is that when her mother, when Hannah's mother heard that the people on the video were Gina and Garrett, she actually went to pick up Gina to bring her to the police station, to have her tell the police everything she knew about Hannah's last moments. And she said that on the car ride down there, she was like, Oh, we're going to find Hannah. And she was playing with like the baby in the back. She was like, that Oh, you're
0: sadistic.
1: right. Like, Oh, you're Hannah's little baby. You're so cute. Like that is just, it's I sadistic. mean, insult to injury. Yeah, Right. Like I don't blame them for walking out. I would have too. Like you are a piece of crap. You have no remorse. None. Yeah. Hannah's mother is raising Jeremiah and has become an activist against violence perpetuated on indigenous women. Good. And this is kind of cool. And I don't know how I find these cases that always have like bills or rights or acts (laughs) happening, Mm -hmm. but somehow I do, but this is kind of cool. In April of 2019, House Bill 21, also known as Hannah's Act, authorizing the Department of Justice to assist with the investigation of all missing persons cases, requiring the employment of a missing persons specialist, providing duties, providing direction on funding for position, providing legislative intent, and providing spending authorization. So that means that when something like this happens with an indigenous woman that or person, person, they will be able to have the proper support that they need. Yeah. It's a step in the right direction. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot, a lot to go, a lot to go. And it just seems that to me, the media doesn't have enough of these indigenous people When they go missing, like you can see these blonde haired, blue eyed women that are gone and everyone's so sad. I mean, it is sad, but of course, any everyone deserves any
0: missing persons or any homicide investigation. Any of it is sad. Mm -hmm. The fact that there's so often people of color or indigenous people or I mean, anyone Anyone. uh, that's, that's outside of some young white girl. Mm-hmm. honestly, just they don't give enough attention. And the thing is, is you and I have to seek out finding mm-hmm. these kinds of cases because they just don't. They're not there now hear about them. And it's really unfortunate. And it's, you know, speaks to the shit that's gone on in our country for a long time. And we're not going to unpack all of that. No,
1: but, <laughs> but I but feel it, like.
0: Yeah, it's very upset. At least
1: we can give a voice to these people. Of course that deserves the recognition and the same amount of time that everyone else gets.
0: Yes. And also raising awareness about the work that her mom is doing.
1: Yes. Which is so heartbreaking and so courageous at the same mm-hmm. time. Yeah. I just can't even, I can't even imagine. Yeah. And it kind of strings my heart's a little, uh, I, ha- as you know, I have native American in my family and it's just, It's sad. (laughs) It makes me really sad the way that the indigenous people are treated. Are treated. My sources were the ID channel, the night that never ended, an article from Justice for Native People, and that was pretty much it. Unfortunately, there just wasn't much I could find on her case. Unfortunately,
0: that's really upsetting. Really upsetting. But I am glad that that's the case that you ended up talking about today. Me too, and.
1: I think I mentioned this in the beginning, but I just want to say it one more time that she was a member of the Northern Cheyenne Tribe of Montana.
0: Okay. So we're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor. uh, And then I'll be back with some dismemberment. (laughs) We'll talk to you real soon. And we're back.
1: I was for a second. I was like, oh, was I supposed to say that?
0: I mean, I took a minute to see if you would. (laughs)
1: You would do that.
0: (laughs) All right. On to my case. This is the story of Buck Ruxton. Okay, I gotta
1: say I like his name.
0: Well, I don't think you're going to like him. Dang it. Uh, Also, this is known as the Jigsaw Murders. On the morning of September 29th, 1935, in Moffat, Scotland, Susan Haynes Johnson was on a walk and glanced over an old stone bridge and down into a stream. In the ravine, as she took a closer look, she saw a bundle rocking slightly in the water, with the shocking and distinctive shape of a human arm sticking out where the fabric had caught on a rock. As the cops searched the area, they found four more bundles concealed from the view of the footbridge above. Each was containing extensively mutilated body parts, including thigh bones, legs, sections of flesh, a human torso and pelvis, as well as two human heads. It was a 70-piece jigsaw puzzle.
1: Seventy?
0: Mm-hmm forensic scientists set out putting together the pieces. Despite having their identifying features removed, Professor John Glaster and anatomist James Cooper Brash, among other experts assigned to the case, were able to determine that the body parts belonged to two different women. Glasgow-based etymologist Alexander Mearns deduced that the remains could not have been under the bridge for less than 12 to 14 days by the age of the maggots that infested them. It was the first time though that maggots have been used in a murder case in this way. Now, forensic scientists have used the age of maggots to help determine a time of death, but they never actually used it in a murder case as evidence.
1: Wow, that's awesome! That this is like the original.
0: Yes, the parts they would set out to prove belonged to Isabella Ruxton and her maid, twenty-year-old a twenty-year-old woman named Mary Rogerson. At the time of the grisly discovery, they had been missing from the house of Doctor Buck Ruxton in Dalton Square in Lancaster for two weeks. Doctor Buck Ruxton was born. In Bombay, India in 1899. He moved from India to the UK in 1927 to train in Edinburgh where he met his wife Isabella. The couple relocated to Lancaster where Ruxton established a medical practice at the family home at 2 Dalton Square. He was a husband, father, learned man, and well-respected doctor. He was well-loved by all of his patients and no one saw it coming that he would become the center of a murder mystery that gripped the public and press in the UK and Ireland in public. He had a kind nature, but behind closed doors, the doctor had been hiding a completely different person. Mm. I don't like that. He was extremely jealous and regularly beat his wife when he suspected her of having an affair. Mm, Don't like that even more. He tried to cover his tracks in the hours and days immediately after the murder, trying to get his acquaintances to tell police false stories for the two weeks following the murders. He told people that his wife and his maid had both walked out on him. Nobody believed him.
1: (laughs) I was about to say, (laughs) he sounds like a liar.
0: (laughs) Yeah. On October 1935, he was arrested and charged with the murder of Isabella and Mary. He denied the charges. In a time before DNA analysis, proving who the women were was very difficult, especially since their identifying part body parts had been removed. Yet, it was the surgical precision shown in the shocking disarticulation of the bodies, which first pointed to a culprit who had been trained in that area. Every identification mark had been skillfully removed, said J.C. Jackson for the prosecution as the murder trial opened March 2nd, 1936, according to an Irish Times report from the day. I suggested that both women had died a very violent death and that the dismemberment had been done by someone who had medical knowledge and surgical skill. Dubbed the jigsaw murders in the newspapers, the case was built against Dr. Buck Ruxton and relied on the groundbreaking use of forensic evidence, as well as 209 exhibits and some 115 witnesses. When the trial took place, yeah, when the trial took place, there were thousands of people outside of the court supporting him thousands autumn. There are pictures and I will post them on our Instagram page of the police holding back the thousands of people there to support Dr. Ruxton.
1: No, no sir. Mm -mm.
0: The popular doctor was highly regarded for how he would often waive medical fees for those who couldn't pay. And many members of the community just couldn't believe what he had done. Luckily, the truth got out as the trial progressed. Before getting to the physical evidence, Jackson provided a motive. Mr. Jackson said that if ever a motive was shown and indicated in a murder case, it's quite apparent and clear in this case that it followed on his great jealousy, foolish jealousy of this woman. Throughout the trial, the jury heard from witnesses who recalled instances Of violence and aggression towards Mrs. Ruxton in the unhappy home. According to an Irish Times court report, Ruxton was convinced Isabella was having an affair with a man identified as Mr. Edmondson, a 25-year-old solicitor working in Lancaster. Two weeks before she disappeared, Isabella visited Edinburgh, She had walked with a group of people that included Mr. Edmondson over the very bridge where her remains would be found. The doctor tailed the group with his car, placing a paper over the car's windscreen to hide his identity. He had become convinced that Isabella spent the night with Mr. Edmondson. That was not the only evidence of Ruxton's foolish jealousy. In April 1934 following a domestic call from police he was reported saying to officers and be ready autumn my wife has been unfaithful I will kill her if it continues oh and yet
1: there were thousands of people supporting this man
0: yeah but he told police that months before of course he did (laughs) The trial heard other examples of his aggression, including a report of a houseworker discovering a revolver under his pillow. The most chilling account came from Isabella's sister, Jean Kerr Nelson. She recalled speaking with Buck after he had revealed Isabella tried to take her own life. My sister asked me to take her home, and the doctor said if she attempted to take the children away, he would cut the throats of all of them. After that, he (laughs) calmed down and became very nice. Oh, how gentlemanly of him. The good doctor. The character evidence against Ruxton was damning, but the forensic evidence shut it down. (laughs) Jesus. In a model of Ruxton's house, blood splatter details, including a report of over 80 spots of human blood in the bathtub. Various items of clothing found at the scene and dental records were used to identify the victims and put their place of death on the landing of Ruxton's home. Other pieces of the puzzle included the presence of the Sunday Lancaster paper in the wrappings around the dismembered limbs and the fact that Ruxton used used his own children's clothing to wrap the body parts in.
1: What the actual F?
0: Yeah, it's it's going to get worse from here. He also ripped up the carpets, which had were stained with blood. And he told the police that it was blood from him cutting open a can of peaches.
1: <laughs> oh my, what? This man has probably never opened two, a can of peaches.
0: <laughs> two human bodies worth of blood and it was peaches. <laughs> Give me a fucking break. No
1: one should believe that. No one.
0: He also had. Uh, two rugs and a suit that were covered in blood that he gave to one of his patients. And because he was a doctor and worked out of his home, it wasn't shocking to them that there was blood on these items. So he gave them to, to help them out, I guess. And then all of a sudden they said that he came back to their house the following day. And he had said, that he needed them back and was really sweaty. And she was like, no, I am, no, absolutely not. And he was like, no, I need to go get those professionally cleaned. And she's like, I can wash them myself. Don't worry about it. And he left. That was just a little fun side note. (laughs) Great. (laughs) Most notably the prosecution relied on an innovation in forensics from uh, from professor Glaster to secure a guilty verdict. The professor took a skull found in the ravine and photographed it. He then superimposed an existing studio photograph of Isabella over the image of the skull. The contours of the face, matching jawline, and size similarities helped convince the jury that Dr. Ruxton's claim of innocence were false. In fact, the photos were a perfect match. Now, this is significant because this was the first time this technique had ever been used in an actual murder case. There will be a photo that I'm gonna post on Instagram about how they did it, and it's fascinating to see the photo overlay. I'm telling you, it's incredible. Anyway, the conclusion was reached that on the night of September 14th, 1935, Buck attacked Isabella over the alleged unfaithfulness and likely strangled her. Mary Rogerson, on witnessing the murder, inadvertently became the doctor's second victim. He killed them on the landing. He drained their blood and dismembered their bodies in the bath with a surgical knife, paying careful attention to removing all identifiers. He then wrapped the body body parts and drove them two hours to Scotland where he discarded the evidence in the ravine. That's why the Lancaster... Newspaper that he wrapped them in told them that clearly they came, they were there. He was found guilty following an 11 day trial after a one hour deliberation. A petition for leniency was signed by 10,000 people, including sympathetic locals who held the doctor in high regard. But that was disregarded, and Ruxton was sentenced to death for his crimes.
1: Good. Goodbye. (laughs)
0: 10,000 people people signed this petition. Ridiculous. (laughs) Now, during his time in the witness box, his demeanor had been erratic and emotional. At his sentencing hearing, however, he was calm except for one final strange gesture. According to the Irish Times report, after the judge finished handing down the death sentence, when the judge's voice had ceased and the chaplain's amen had echoed away, Ruxton raised his right arm from the elbow in what appeared to be a Roman form of salute. Oof. So weird. What a bizarre situation. Hmm. The next day on May 12, 1936, Buck Ruxton walked from his strange ways cell to the gallows and was hanged. He is buried in an unmarked grave in the grounds of the prison. He also confessed to the crimes saying, I killed Mrs. Ruxton in a fit of temper because I thought she had been with a man. I was mad at the time. Mary Robertson was present. I had to kill her. Nice.
1: Yeah, I Um, have no words for this monster.
0: A fund was set up to help the Rogerson's family and the Ruxton children. The details of the murder and the story of this case were so well known that they apparently inspired the following song, which I am not singing.
1: Oh, dang it. Dang it. Dang it. I was like, everyone's about to hear the karaoke queen.
0: (laughs) My beautiful instrument. Okay. Red stains on the carpet, red stains on the knife. Oh, Dr. Buck Ruxton, you murdered your wife. Then Mary, she saw you. You thought she would tell. So Dr. Buck Ruxton, you killed her as well. It's a cute little ditty. Wow. Um, Yeah. Lastly, I want to mention a really weird fact that I learned. When the investigation was over, the Ruxton bathtub from the house that he dismembered all the peoples in was repurposed and is now used as a horse trough at the Hutton Police Headquarters. Still to this day? To this day. Oh,
1: crazy. That's right? crazy.
0: My sources were Murderpedia, the Forensics Library, Murder Maps, and the Irish Times. What the fuck? <laughs> that
1: is, I mean, that's a true Aaron story.
0: Isn't it though? I was, honestly, I was like the most impressed by the forensics though. Cause they used the maggots to discover the time of death. And then they also did the, the photographs. And it's really interesting. I'm going to, as soon as we're done recording, I'm sending them to you immediately. So you can see, but like, <laughs> I have pictures of the crowd being held back at the courthouse. I have pictures of Dr. Buck Ruxton, of course. And then I have the actual photos that they used to overlay, to figure out that that was Isabella for sure. And they did that also with Mary.
1: Oh my. Wow. Yeah. That's just wow.
0: Back (laughs) on my dismemberment game, folks.
1: In case you missed it, she's
0: back. An old timey dismemberment crimey and with a song.
1: (laughs) I know. I I'm actually really disappointed that you didn't sing it, Mm, but no, we'll save that gem for another time. Right.
0: But I sure. Honestly, I have I, the forensics of it are really fascinating. And the fact that they caught him, I'm just still so shocked by like the 10,000 people that signed that petition. Mm-hmm. They were crowding outside like the police had to hold them back because they were all trying to be like, no, he's fine. And even after the fact, after it was all done, people were still talking about what a great person he was and how like he was the best doctor and the most kind person And they couldn't believe that he did it.
1: Well, he did. And he's a horrific human. So I'm really sorry if you thought he was kind.
0: That takes a lot to remove people's identifying marks. That's like moles and like faces.
1: He Um, was sadistic. (laughs) Yeah. That's just disgusting.
0: mm, I know. I know. I seem to cover a lot of doctors.
1: I was just about to say that a lot of these people who dismember. People seem to have a medical background.
0: I think a lot of times they're trained in, um, you know, how to dismember people or, or not dismember people, but they're trained as a medical professional to do surgeries or removals of things. And a lot of times you disassociate, you know, what Mm -hmm. you're doing. So I have a feeling that has to do with a lot, but there's also like creepy fucking God complexes that are in play here and all of those other things.
1: Mm-hmm. He really, percent.
0: he really thought he was getting away with it though. He like thought he had like nailed this, but there was so much evidence. I
1: feel like people who have a higher intelligence sometimes are so confident in themselves that they don't think anyone else can yeah. see past what they've done.
0: They always think they're the smartest person in the room. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you may
1: be smart, but there's always someone smarter than you.
0: Not everybody can be me. Okay.
1: Oh, I know. Trust me. I've been, I've been dabbling with that for many, many, many years.
0: I know it's really been tough for you. Uh, Lordy. All right. Well, that was our episode this week.
1: Yes. And Uh, I just want to add. Oh, sorry. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. (laughs) don't talk over me. Just kidding. (laughs) I just want to add, oh shit. (laughs) I just want to add that we've been getting a lot of reviews on the like Apple podcast app, which are so appreciative. So if you haven't reviewed us yet, we would love if you would like just take a moment
0: and take, take some time. And Autumn runs our Insta and she will definitely be reposting those. Mm-hmm. I I'm sure some of, some people have noticed, but we have posted thing reviews that people have written us, which honestly is so fucking sweet. It's it so, is nice.
1: so amazing. It, and it helps us so much. You have no idea. So also, if you haven't, please do
0: also really quickly. Look, and I'm now I'm adding. Um, also really quickly, I do want to thank the people that have bought their birdies. Yeah. Because, yeah, 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 Um, B- birdie has restocked all of the colors and they added a few new colors. So if you do want a, she's birdie, it's a personal alarm. You use the code, not murder 15 and you'll get 15% off and it's so worth it. But, makes you
1: feel a little safer. Yes. My grandma has one now, which is so I love that. comforting to all of us. Everyone my, was so happy. My
0: mom, my mother-in-law, and you know, it's it's uh, it's been really good also because it does allow us to afford to pay for keeping our website together and our equipment yeah. and all of that. So we very much appreciate that Yes. And, um, and honestly, it, it makes me so proud that we're able to do something that will event will eventually keep people out of harm's way. So 100%. Uh, thank you again so much for that. If you want, please take a picture of your birdie and, yes. and, take and us tag to.
1: us and tag us. We will repost yeah. those. We love seeing it. We love knowing that you're safe mm-hmm. and that you're using a product that yes. we truly love and support.
0: And um, I'm going to put out a little video this week showing you how to test your birdie when you get it, because I know a lot Ooh. of people are getting them right now.
1: Yes. So keep a look thing. out for
0: that. It's Murder Not Murdering on Instagram. We're also on TikTok. And you can email us info at murdernotmurdering.com or go to our website, which also has our email address on that. If you have suggestions for cases or comments or anything, try to be constructive. If you don't like it
1: <laughs> for the most part, I have to say, everyone is very, yes, kind, very
0: supportive. <laughs> um, there are
1: occasional right. weirdos, but they, I don't even think they listen. I think they just
0: troll. Yeah, sure. I mean, they're everywhere. Everywhere. All right. right. Thank you guys so much. We'll be back next week. Uh, bye. Bye.